Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joel Craft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Tuesday evening, where we will continue our reflections into the book of Genesis. We are in chapter 3, and that narrative of the fall of man. Before we get into chapter 3 and wrap up our reflections into that narrative, I just did want to continue to not only welcome all of you faithful listeners out there who are listening to this program live here in the local confines of uh, Chico, California, in the North State here in California, but also by way of podcast, especially those who are listening in the countries of Canada, Mexico, uh, Argentina, Brazil, Chile, uh, Peru. I see uh, there continues to be a listening audience in Western Europe, Italy, Portugal, Spain, France, Germany. Um, I see Croatia, Turkey, India, China, some countries in Africa. I just continue to welcome all of you, you who are taking time out of your very busy schedules to listen to Seeds of Truth. It really is an honor, and it is humbling. You know, as I continue to get questions from you, not only from the book of Genesis, but also just on all the different topics that encircle our Christian and Catholic faith, I do want you to know that if you are someone who is listening maybe for the first time or the second time, we do set aside Thursday to answer your questions. I know I had gotten an email and a few phone calls about this, and so I just wanted to let you know that we do set aside Thursday, and for some of you, I have directed you to my archives and, and that I've answered some of your questions. But this Thursday, I am going to continue my reflection that I started last week. Last week, we were talking about the deeper meaning of Christmas. Well, that question answered has really continued a conversation, just not on Christmas, but also on New Year's and dating and the significance of saying December 26th, the year of our Lord, 2017. So anyhow, we're going to just kind of continue that conversation this Thursday, which is hopefully going to continue to answer some of your questions. You have heard me say on more than one occasion that to answer one question is to really answer a question that will hopefully have you walking through a new door, which probably has a whole lot more questions. And that's a good thing, because one of the things I could never reinforce enough is that God, in His infinite love, is also infinite mystery, right? So if we're going to get to know who God is in that infinite love, that love that desires to be in relationship with us, we also have to plumb into the depths of mystery. And part of that excavation is going to involve what? Well, asking questions, and as you get a question answered— ask more questions, that we might truly seek to understand our faith. Asking questions, my friends, is behind any good theology. Mindful that theology is not only the study of God, but a seeking understanding in faith, right? That great classical definition that comes to us, faith-seeking understanding. So we seek to better understand through the kinds of questions we ask. And so from one week to the next here on Seeds of Truth— This is what we are about. It's just not all apologetics. Why do you as a Catholic believe this or that? There's those questions for sure, 
and we have answers, but those answers are going to often lead to more questions. And this is really, again, what Seeds of Truth is all about. So with that, let us jump into chapter 3 of the book of Genesis and the narrative of the fall of man. Now, last time together when we were going through Genesis, I read for you through verse 19. I think what I'll do is go back, start again with verse 14, and then just read Genesis chapter 3, verse 14 through verse 24, because I do think we'll be able to get through all of this today. All right, verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all cattle and above all wild animals. Upon your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Right, we talked about that in detail last week. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbearing, in pain you shall bring forth children. Yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of dust you are taken, you are a dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Okay, so a pretty active series of verses there. Some of these we have already explored, not only last week, but in previous weeks as it relates to man and, and woman. So I'm not going to get back into all of that now. What I wanted to initially speak to today is death. I know <laughs> we are in Christmas season and we are all about life in these hours and days, but in these verses, I think we have an important reflection, certainly in verse 19. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, you are dust, and to dust you shall return, that famous verse. To dust you shall return. So what is he talking about there? Physical death, right? Physical death is the separation of body and soul. Let us get this clear. We are composite of body and soul, okay? So this is about physical death, which is the separation of body and soul. This is part of the curse inherited by Adam's descendants. Once the womb of man, incidentally in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, the ground now becomes the tomb of man. So once the womb of man, now the tomb of man. One of the things that all of the saints had in common 
was this biblical worldview that would always have them asking certain questions. One of those questions really is, what is the meaning of death? I talked about this last week. We say there's two things guaranteed in life, death and taxes. Well, really, there's only one thing guaranteed in life, and that's death. So we are made to ask the question, what is the meaning of death? What does it mean to say truly that we will return to dust? Well, what happens in death? Well, in death, the body disintegrates, right? And the person who is now disintegrating is no longer able to express themselves as we are so often seeing them express themselves, okay? So to dust, they shall return. Incidentally, my friends, really, even before death, we know that the process of death begins in so far as there is a loss of certain things, right? A loss of fertility, a loss of our hair, a loss of our height for some of us if we're starting to get a little bit older and we're starting to lean over. In a manner of speaking, as we age, we have this process of dying that is going on within our bodies that really does encourage us to consider what death is all about. So yeah, rightfully, the saint, as should we, ask the question, what is the meaning of death? Of course, it was St. John of the Cross who once said that in the evening time of life, we will be judged by what? Love alone. And really, my friends, as we think about death and ask the question, what is the meaning of death? It should really lead to that question, what is the meaning of life? And what does it mean to love? We are not going to be judged by how hard we root for this team over that team. Certainly, it seems like the kind of waking hours we spend rooting for this team or that team, it sure seems like our salvation depends on it, right? No, no. How hard we root for this team or that team, or for that matter, what color our shirt is, isn't going to matter in the end. But how hard we loved and how hard we gave our shirt away. That, my friends, is what counts. When you talk about death, who do we have to turn to for the example? But of course, Jesus himself, because it is in how Jesus died that we truly learn the language of love and how to die by dying to self every day. To live is to choose, to choose is to love. And my dear friends, to love is to will the good of the other in each and every encounter. Now, it's interesting, another key point to this question about what is the meaning of death is that it was at the heart of the first proclamation of faith, right? We find that the first evangelists and preachers of the Christian faith proclaimed what? Repent and believe because Jesus Christ is risen. Death no longer what? Rules over you. Death no longer rules over you. Consider Paul In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, then our faith and preaching is empty. If Christ has not been raised, then our faith and preaching is empty. The Greek word there for empty is useless, without substance. So here we are made to ask the question, is my faith in the resurrection really the dominant uh, magnet in my life? Am I, like Paul, living the kind of life that would be foolish apart from the reality of the resurrection? Because again, 
Death did not have the final say, but life. So as we reflect into death during this Christmas season, we really are reflecting into life. Because as the great Christian paradox reminds us, to know death, that more authentic expression of death, is to know life. If we die to ourselves each and every day, we will know what it means to live in God here on earth. And that, my friends, will lead to when we die and return to the dust, we will know the glory of God. And amen to that. Because, brothers and sisters, our real citizenship, what does Paul say in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, is in heaven. And so, my friends, we should really relax our grasp on the goods of this world that we might know the resurrection and the new life that awaits us. The end of this life is not the last word. So yes, to dust you shall return, we shall return, but this does not have the final say. That's the good news. The good news came five verses previous to this, right? I will put enmity between you and the woman between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. There's going to be a victory and for this we rejoice. Okay, Verse 22, then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us, like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. When you spend time with these verses, my friends, you can begin to see that, gosh, (laughs) Adam would have attained true godliness if only he had humbly obeyed his father just as who did, but of course, Jesus. What do we read in that great Christological hymn in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8? He did not deem equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being obedient unto death, even death on a cross. This profound, humble obedience We read in Romans chapter 5, verse 14, that Jesus is a new Adam, reversing the fall, that which took place in the Garden of Eden, and bringing about a new fortune, taking the tree that was once the instrumental cause of loss of grace and now putting on his back and atoning for that fall and restoring us back to our original identity, that proper sonship with God. So these verses 22 and 23, and certainly we could even say 24, have us thinking about Jesus as a new Adam. And as it does, has us thinking about our proper relationship with God. I was just asking the question, as the saints would ask the question, what is the meaning of death? This should lead us into thinking about our relationship with Jesus Christ, right? Verse 23, God sent him forth from the garden, so, in verse 23, we, we read about this expulsion from the garden, expulsion and exile. Adam learns that the most devastating effect of sin is what but separation from God and his blessings, a point that the Ignatius commentary highlights, separation from God and his blessings. What is our uh, destiny, my friends? 
Is it expulsion? Is it exile? Well, what did I just say? What do we read in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20? But citizenship of heaven. If we do not take ownership of how we choose, then we will lose that citizenship. We will be permanently expelled, as Jesus reminds us. That's just the reality of sin. That's the reality of hell. Okay? Now, Jesus didn't just say that to figuratively scare the hell out of us. <laughs> no, hell exists literally. Literally, my friends. So I asked the question, what is our destiny? You know, the word destiny literally translates in the Latin as to aim at, right? To aim at. You've heard me talk before about sin as missing the mark and hitting the mark. Well, let's put that in the context of our destiny. If, if we are living with death in mind, if, if we are living with our destiny in mind, then how should we be living? How should we be aiming? In sin? No. The Greek word for sin is hamartsia. That's the Greek that Paul employs. That literally translates as to miss the mark. When we are sinning, we are missing the mark. We might be aiming, but it just might be off, and so we're missing. And the more we sin, the more, the greater the miss, right? Conversely, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, the word for law is literally uh, yadah, yadah in Hebrew, to hit the mark. So when we are living in the law of God, when we are living in the love of God, when we are living in virtue and abiding in the Spirit of God, we are hitting the mark. So if we want to reach our destiny, then we live in the law and love of God. Okay, verse 24. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword, which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Of course, here, as the catechism spells out in paragraph 332, the cherubim represent what but the angels, the angels who guard the holiness of God's presence here in the garden as they will later do so. If you were to go to Exodus chapter 25, verse 18, uh, we read about them guarding God's holiness in the tabernacle of Moses, as well as the temple of Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 6, verses 23 to 28. So here you have the cherubim fulfilling this role of guarding, protecting God's holiness, God's holy sanctuary, God's holy place. Now, as it relates to the word guard, here we are to be present to the simple fact that angelic sentries are posted to keep the defiled couple from re-entering paradise. Now, this may be seen as an act of divine mercy, lest fallen man eat of the tree of life and live forever in a state of perpetual separation, spiritual separation from God. Now, this is interesting because it does raise the question, um, about God's divine mercy. You know, my friends, we so often put God's divine mercy in a particular box. And by that I mean we think of it strictly when people are in obvious trouble and they need God's merciful love. But we don't always think about God's mercy within the context of God allowing something to happen even when things are going well so as to protect us from something down the road. It's very easy, my friends, to look at 
um, material prosperity as blessing. And on one hand, yes, there's something to be said about that. If, if you do everything you're supposed to do, God will provide for you, and, and there's blessing in that, and sometimes it comes in ways unforeseen materially. But that is not, <laughs> my friends, that is not what our relationship with God is all about, just material blessing, just material goods. It's so much more than that. So we can do everything we are supposed to do, and sometimes, by man's standards, secular standards, not get everything that we want. But see, that's God's merciful love. I say that because, my dear friends, it's Christmas season. And if there's anything we should be thinking about during this Christmas season, as I was reflecting, as I was reflecting last week, is the importance of poverty, right? That God entered human history, and he does so in this form of profound poverty. So the greatest blessing in human history comes to us in through poverty. And so if we don't receive something we think we should get, that very well might be blessing. Not only blessing, but God's merciful love. So God's merciful love just isn't, you know, this blessing we receive based upon what we should get. Or, for that matter, as I was speaking to earlier, God coming to us when we are most in need. He does that for sure, but it's just not reduced to that. Sometimes God's merciful love is something that is either taken away from us or, or in some cases, something that happens to us that leads us to a deeper understanding of who God is, right? And I really do think when you spend some time with these verses, this is a reflection one can have. Because in the end, my friends, God is concerned about one thing, the salvation of your soul, the salvation of your soul. We might not be mindful of that all the time, but we should be. What is that passage from Philippians chapter 2, verse 12? If you listen to this radio program, hopefully you know it by now because I quote it. Well, maybe not as much as the first beatitude, but it's getting pretty close. How we are called to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. That it is just not enough, according to Paul, to say, I'm saved. To put Jesus on my lips and say, I'm saved. We are called to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. Okay? And as he says this, we are to be mindful that, yeah, this is the lone concern of God. And he will do whatever is necessary to bring about that salvation. I know this is so hard when we experience profound loss, especially the loss of a loved one. Uh, we've all lost loved ones. And my goodness, in ways unforeseen. And there's nothing in this life that has us stopping in our tracks than losing someone close to us. In, in that moment, my friends, we are made to ask so many questions about the meaning of life, questions that we just weren't asking before, and God desires. In point of fact, my friends, I would say it is God's deepest desire that we desire what ultimately He desires, to be Asking those questions, what were, what were we saying in the opening? Asking those questions, those most important questions about the meaning of death, the meaning of life, the meaning of salvation. Why am I here? All those questions 
And my dear friends, I humbly encourage you to pray for the gift of faith. There's nothing that I can say here this evening on air that is going to actually give to you what only is proper to God, okay? The gift of faith. What I say or what someone else says might increase your faith, might lead to a greater trust in God, personal entrustment to God, right? Trust is that most concrete act and virtue of faith. But that, my friends, comes on the heels of the great gift of faith. Only God can give you faith. Ask him, God, give me more of you, please. What do we read in the Gospel of Mark? Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Let this be our great prayer. And Lord, as you give me more faith, let me sink myself into you in such a way that I now begin to work out my salvation in fear and trembling. Amen? Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen? And God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.